0: You are listening to Secret Handshake, the podcast covering the movies that help you identify your friends and maybe make a few more along the way. Coming up, the third installment in our Handshake mini-series covering the meatballs movies and various summer camp cinematic shenanigans featuring dead porn stars, live porn stars, Patrick Dempsey, Canadian cheerleaders, Mean Gene, meat cleavers, hot dogs, buck flower, boner jams, punk bands. And Leaf Garrett. Martin, that judge in the orange skirt, make your PP pee pee harder than a 10 pound bag of nickel jawbreakers. Know what I mean? Back to another edition of Secret Handshake. I'm your host, Jacob Knight, and joining me as always is Martin Carlson. Martin,
1: we're recording remotely because you got COVID again. What's going on? It just loves me. I don't, I think it's definitely that new variance, uh, but I'm feeling actually fine. I just tested to be sure, and I have it. So just feeling pretty pooped, but not too pooped to talk about some camp movies.
0: Yeah, because we're now in our third installment of our summer camp mini series and honestly editing the last one kind of felt amazing because uh, there's a reason. And we apologize that we've been kind of quiet on social media is that uh, I went on vacation. There's been some work stuff that's come up, but last week I got to actually edit our second summer camp installment uh, while sitting behind a beach house, listening to the ocean. So it kind of felt sort of right. To a degree. But what do we got this week, Martin?
1: Well, uh, we're continuing our trek through the Meatballs movies. So we're on Meatballs 3. And then we're going to be doing, again, another horror film, uh, late 80s, uh, 1988 cheerleader camp. And then, as we previewed last week, uh, making our first foray into hardcore pornography with 1983 summer camp girls
0: which sadly we didn't get to watch together and squirm the whole time because that movie is a great reminder of how, like even during the eighties and even seventies, like in the golden days of porn, like sometimes it was really aggressive and uncomfortable and incorporated hot dogs.
1: Yes. um, But also I I realized how much I know about, vintage porn. Cause I was like, Oh, that's from sex with Avenue. That's for, uh, the girl from Mary Xmas. Cause like in college and like, even when I was growing up, my brother and I, like, he had an old tape called sex return to sex with Avenue, Ron Jeremy, that his buddies had given him as a joke when he was in college. And so, or maybe in high school. And so through that, I first learned about Ron Jeremy. We have Paul Thomas who plays Gary in this um, you fucking honey writer. Uh, like some pretty big, uh, Herschel Savage, big stars of the, of the time.
0: Well, and Shauna Grant too, who is one of the yes. most infamous figures in, uh, late seventies, early eighties porn, because she would take her own life shortly after this movie, about a year later, I want to say, um, in that she's partially, uh, one of the characters in the deuce at the end of that, mm. that series spoiler alert takes their own life and her suicide Mira Shauna grants, uh, kind of eerily. Um, but she's in it as well. And yeah, it, it, it was a reminder for me too, that like, I've kind of always watched porn or at least known who these people are through like my reading and research and stuff. I'm not going to bullshit. Like, I know who Herschel Savage is. And when he comes on and is acting super like New York Italian and aggressive towards this girl and like the first fuck scene, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. It's that guy. He's essentially like, like if Jamie Gillis was in a Scorsese movie.
1: My brother, I used to call him orange dick because he has like an orange <laughs> dick and so he'll always be orange dick to me. Herschel, Herschel Savage, but he was in everything. I mean, obviously look on these IMDb, pages for these actors and like in 1500 movies. Cause like, uh, another classic, uh, private teacher was the same year. Also Gary Graber with Tom Byron as the lead, who was like one of the possible inspirations for Dirk Diggler, I believe. Um, and Correct. of the kind of young, new, hot stud, like real boyish good looks, um, who was also kind of eaten up by, by the industry.
0: Yeah. Along with like, obviously John Holmes and everything is that exactly. It, yeah. Yeah. And he, you could see, I mean, Paul Thomas, his own name, it is a porn star in the, this movie. So it's like, it's pretty amazing, but we're, I think these films are at least a step up from the second installment, which I, I still believe was the worst trilogy of films I've had to sit through for this podcast. I,
1: I, I think I'll disagree. Because <laughs> um, I mean, I, I love, I much prefer Madman to Cheerleader Camp. I mean, Cheerleader Camp is so random. And I hadn't seen this in five, five, six years. And that was just another one of those like completionist slasher things. And as we'll get to, it's a late slasher. It's 88. And that was that kind of era when the only slashers that were still really making any money were Jason and Freddie. And, and then, of course, Michael Myers with the return of uh, Michael Myers in 88. Yeah, some you know, obviously leather paste stuff happening in the background, but these new slashers were really not getting a lot of legs, you know. And this is one of them, and it really doesn't know quite what it's doing. Is and the point you made over text is it's kind of more of a camp movie than a slasher movie. It happens to have death, but almost kind of forgets it's a horror film for 30 minutes, 40 minutes maybe. Um it's it's a fucking Long weird time. One. Yeah. Um, but for I I think uh Easily, Meatballs 3 is better than Meatballs 2. Um, Patrick Dempsey is pretty goddamn annoying, I will say, in this movie. Uh, And then Summer Camp Girls, I did enjoy more than Oddballs. (laughs) So Summer Camp Girls, I thought, was actually kind of great. I mean, it was like a a good, fun, like vintage porn with a story story. Um, like it shot a film, you know, like there's there it's like a narrative thread <laughs> it has more narrative than meatballs too, you know <laughs> well, and that
0: vinegar syndrome restoration on that blu-ray looks really, really great. is that it's another one of those great reminders that you're sitting there going like, was summer camp girls ever supposed to look this good? I don't
1: think so. well, you, we were texting, you know, because. Again, being sick, we couldn't watch it together. And oh darn, I um, mean, yeah, I love you, buddy, but I think this would have been a rough watch. And uh, really pushed our friendship to to a new uh, a new edge. But I found it, of course, online, super easy. I, was like, I bet this is on like, and there it was xhamster.com. That was the actual site. You were you were joking? That's where it was. So
0: yeah, it's the one where you can actually find a lot of this
1: weird vintage stuff. Yeah. Like the whole Alice, the Alex uh, XXX parody from the seventies with the girl from uh, meatballs one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: But I think the other thing that this episode is going to prove is that without doing any research, we kind of nailed the meatball series, at least, you know, after one in that none of these movies were actually supposed to be related. They just passed the name around between studios and then capitalized on it and used like scripts or partially shot films or productions already kind of in motion. And they were like, well, we'll just rebrand it Meatballs and try to sell it easier that way.
1: Yeah. And I totally forgot that they had even written in, and obviously, with some rewrites, I imagine, for part three, that this is uh, a sequel. This is Rudy. This is the character, uh, Chris Makepeace from the original, a little bit more grown up. Uh, played by again uh, a very annoying Patrick Dempsey at the very beginning of his beginning of his career. Um, this yeah, he can't gets buy the, me and
0: yep. He gets the introducing title card in this
1: one. Yeah. And he definitely is doing a thing that he would do for a lot of the late eighties, which is play the, the cute guy who can't quite understand women. Like he kind of played it in a, a three, three or four movies You know, kind of like the Coreys kind of had their bit that they would do. His bit was kind of like, I don't know. But then, of course, then he becomes, you know, this sexual icon in fucking Gray's Anatomy when he's older. You know, what McDreamy, uh, I think was his character.
0: Yeah, because there's McDreamy and McSteamy, and I always mix them up. But I remember McSteamy was that kind of anonymous hunk of meat that they just put in that show. And Dempsey was McDreamy. Cause that's the funny thing is that you bring up the Corey's and Corey Feldman of course is going to be in meatballs Four next week, but it feels like Dempsey was another attempt at trying to create like a, a Corey Feldman or a Corey Haim. But those two took up so much of the market share in the eighties that he was stuck in meatballs (laughs) three.
2: And
1: and this was, I mean, he was definitely starting small um, and then he, he did, he did a lot, but I don't think his, I don't, again, you know, our listeners can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think his fandom at that time reached the limits or the heights of, of the Corey, the Corey's were like tiger beat household name. You know, I think that he was probably in those magazines too, but not in the way they were. I mean, they were an institution. Like they had yeah. really, and they milked that you know, for quite a few years into the nineties, he was the Clark bar to their (laughs) Butterfinger. I like Clark bars, but yes,
0: I do too. I mean, my whole family's from Pittsburgh. Of course I love fucking Clark bars, but you get the references that it's kind of like, it's somebody trying to replicate that particular flavor. And like, I mean, no knock on Dempsey. Like he obviously had a great career going forward. And even uh, for obvious reasons, a much better late career than either of the courties. Um, yeah, But like, you know, he starts very meager in this movie, and I I wasn't as annoyed by him as you were, mostly because I found this movie almost like charming in spite of itself, if that makes sense. Like it's clearly doing a thing, but it also like it made clear and our pairings with these three when we kind of put them all together is that this is when – the movies kind of stop being summer camp films and are more just straight up boner jams. Like there's not even a camp in meatballs three. It's just set at like a, a lake side, like bar and just bar. It's not even a resort.
1: Yeah. It's uh it's, it's a kind of a, like a one of those man-made lakes you find in like Georgia or something like that, where you can go and like set up your RV you know, maybe one step up, but it was definitely one of them. You can feel like, okay, we have access to this part of the lake, and we're gonna figure out why people would party here. It's like the party lake in Piranha 3D, you know? Where it's like, wait, why are you guys here? You're partying at a lake in Arizona, or it's almost like Lake Travis here, like that kind of mentality, yeah, exactly. in Austin, right? It's that like, well, you party where you can, and Mean Gene is this very—he's almost like a Coen Brothers character from like Racing Arizona, like one of the two you know, uh, one of the two bad guys and he has this, yeah, he, it was trippers originally as we'll get to, it was uh, supposed to be trippers bar and he was, and he sold it to his friend, mean gene, um, who runs the the story. Yeah. Oh shit. Did you miss that?
0: Yeah. I guess I missed that. Is that in the actual movie? I didn't actually pick up on that.
1: So early on, and I honestly, I think, there's a couple of places where it was 80, where it was basically voiceover that they or like ADR that they kind of dubbed over. So because he's uh, when Rudy's talking about, because his name is Rudy, so that's consistent. But like he says, oh, I'm going to see Tripper, and when he gets there, he hands he said, like, I "Mean G's like, what the fuck are you doing here?" He goes, "Oh, I'm here for Tripper," and he's, like, "Oh, Tripper didn't tell you I own this place now." I'll be taking care of you. So it, it was originally they, the, the scene. They're taking down trippers. It's on a sign. They basically break the sign that says trippers, and they take it down, and then they add the mean jeans stay instead. Like the, the Passover just happened.
0: This is one of the greatest self indictments that I've ever committed on this podcast and that like how sometimes I'll just throw a movie on even one we have to cover and I'll kind of like half look at it and be like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't see any of that, but also I think I was partially distracted by the fact that like, even during the credits of meatballs three, um, all of the titles are in one kind of neon font. And then the actual title of, of meatballs three is in this weird final cut or like post-production, like generic font. That's totally different. And it reminds me of the gag from death proof. And obviously like a lot of, of different exploitation movies. If, if you've seen them on 35 millimeter that would have just different names spliced in depending on where they were playing. If it was overseas or different regions in the United States, is that all of a sudden like something that like, l- I believe in death proof, the gag is like the original title is like lightning bolt. And then it, it cuts in with that blank death proof title card. Like that was meatballs three here because even on IMDB, it's listed as meatball three summer job. There's no subtitle on the copy that I watched on YouTube, which also, like, apologies to all of our listeners. This movie's hard to find. Like, there's, yes. it, it's, it's impossible to find on physical media. Like, the couple of VHS tapes and DVDs and stuff that I found were like astronomically priced. And I was like, well, fuck that. I'm not buying this movie. And then I found it. There's no like legit streaming services that are offering it. So I had to watch it on like, a pan and scan looked like VHS rip on YouTube that had this shitty title card in the middle, actually more than one of the movies that we're watching today. And I'm sure summer camp girls went under a couple different titles that as it was resold over and over again in the deuce to like fill for content there. But like, uh, I believe cheerleader camp in different territories was called bloody pom poms. Because yeah. I watched a trailer yeah. for it that I believe in like Germany or something, and that was the title that they actually went with. So like all of these movies are kind of uh, indicative of the knockoff culture that would rise out of the '70s.
1: Yeah, and basically they're completely corporate corporate products, which of course that's movies. But when it, there's certain ones that feel more like a product. And right. this feels like this is this is this is filler. I liked I enjoyed all three of these, but like it, for a lot of the studios or the companies making them, it was filler. You know, and we'll get to it with meatballs three, but you know, I don't think anyone was clamoring for a new meatballs movie after part two. And they're but they're hoping that you go to a fucking movie theater when you people used to go to the movies and they didn't know what they were gonna see, they just got there. And it's like, oh, oh, those meat, oh, is other meatballs? Okay. You know, I think they're hoping to just get you in almost trick you into getting almost of the like theater.
0: a brand recognition thing. Yeah, because like the backstory that I read and not to bat, pat ourselves on the back a little bit, but we kind of called it in the last episode that like Meatballs 2 was never actually supposed to be Meatballs 2. The title was actually sold to TriStar by one of the producers. And because they had a script called summertime that they essentially made and made into meatballs 2. but that movie produced, uh, or performed so poorly at the box office that they sold the title of meatballs back to that same producer. And then he made meatballs three. And from the sounds of the production, cause I believe they shot meatballs three in like 85. And it wasn't released until like 87. I want to say there's like a couple yeah, year gap between like the production and, and the actual release date. But the sounds of this production make it, it it's another great pairing that we actually put a porno on. This is that the guy who was behind and like the main money man was just like, All I want is tits, I just want hot girls, boobies. And then like, you know, we'll make a a movie around that, but like the extras, like his main like concern was, do they have big tits? You know, the, the main girls in the movie, do they have big tits? Which honestly, like I'm not going to lie. One of the first things I noticed, even when I I threw on meatballs three, and maybe this is what maybe missed those plot points from earlier is that the women in this one are so much hotter than two. Like they're
1: fucking smoking hot in this movie. I think this week in general, much more attractive women because we also had the women of Madman last week in full 4K yellow teeth <laughs> definition yeah. H- HDR yellow teeth.
0: Yeah. If these movies are boner jams, then Madman is a boner killer. Absolutely. But do you want to jump into Beatballs three? Let's do it. All right. Meatballs three from nineteen eighty six actually, as Martin just kind of looked up and corrected me. Not nineteen eighty-seven, but I'm gonna throw this one over to you because I kind of have a concrete opinion on it. But what did you think about this one? How does it stack up in the Meatballs franchise?
1: Um you haven't seen part four yet. I have. So I will say this is my I think two is the worst. Um I would say my order my my stack is one four three two. Um, oh, four is better than this? I like 4 better um, because it's got Jack Nance, and I think Jack Nance just fixes everything. Um, and I – it's funny you, you said you, know, you kind of didn't pick up on some of the plot points of, like, this is Tripper's you – know, this is Tripper's place. He sold the Mean Gene. I was, like, paying very close attention earlier on, but I, this is a rough sit for me, I think. I mean, partly because I think I'm still sick. <laughs> so – but it's just – it's so, like – meandering still you know relatively speaking the two has more of a a plot a more of a a plot thrust but it's still um again i i patrick dempsey annoys me sally kellerman i think is one of the saving graces of the movie um whenever she's there like she gets the movie that she's in and she brings like a sense of like kind of comedic class i think to the movie but like otherwise um uh, this was this was a rough one across <laughs> it for me.
0: It's interesting because if you think about it, it kind of has the same plot line as Meatballs 2 in a weird way, only without being set at a summer camp. Because here we have Rudy comes back looking for Tripper. He gets employment at Mean Gene's bar as he it's taken over. Mean Gene is like this weird sort of like lake biker Thing because yeah. he has an association with this jet ski water gang that comes in, which is fronted by Maury Chaykin.
1: Maury they, Chaykin out of nowhere,
0: out out of fucking left field. But they come rolling in like they're from the fucking like Road Warrior, take over this bar, and then it becomes almost like a roadhouse style like bar comedy, to where Patrick Dempsey's just the geek. Uh, hanging out and working at this bar. But then again, it becomes the the standard plot line to these movies is somebody wants to get laid. Somebody just wants to get their dick wet. Like that's the entire thrust of like the narrative arc or character arc in all these meatball movies only here, instead of an alien aiding a, a a guy to win a boxing match at the end, we have the ghost of a dead porn star who died mid-fucking, mind you, mid-coitus. Uh, and that's played by Sally Kellerman, uh, who gets to heaven and is basically told by St. Peter, hey, th- we don't have you on the list, man. So to get in, you have to go down to earth and like do one good act. And her one good like deed is getting Patrick Dempsey laid with all of these hot chicks that are hanging out at Mean Jeans like lakeside bar, but that's it. That's the movie. But like, instead of the alien, you just have the ghost of a porn star. And maybe that's the other thing that was distracting me from the plot of this film, or at least some of the plot details is that meatballs might be the weirdest fucking franchise to ever exist. Because like, uh, Like they obviously just had this script, which I believe the original title was called My Special Angel or something laying around. And once the producer got the Meatballs title back, we're like, oh, we'll just call it Meatballs 3. But like this doesn't feel like a Meatballs movie. It just feels like a teen sex comedy that was written again after like a pile of cocaine and like maybe some LSD because it's fucking strange.
1: Yeah, it feels more akin with like movies like Ski School. Again, yeah. with just like again, like a, a more generic teen sex comedy that we're not at the a camp anymore. So you don't have we have some of the tropes of like the teen sex comedy of like everyone wants to get laid, uh the nerdy kid who learns from someone else. You see that all the way to American Pie, you know, learning to be a sexual being. Um, but it is it's such a it's such a weird It's just a weird, just all-over-the-place franchise, you know? And that's kind of one of the reasons I wanted to do it, because I have seen... I haven't seen three in a long time, but I've always been like, wow, this is just like a pinball all over the fucking map of, like, the tones of the movies, and and you start so high in terms of quality with, like, Ivan Reitman, you know, you fucking Bill Murray in his prime. And then this is just like, holy shit, how far can you fall? Um, and it also made me think too, it is these are probably three of the horniest movies of the entire series of all of our list. Oh yeah. You know, all three. So Cheerleader Camp, uh, Meatballs Three, and Summer Camp Girls, obviously it's, it's a porno. But that this movie feels like if it could have been a porn, it would have been. Like it, it's again, it is just a it is a a product that they say okay, we're trying to fill screens at malls or at drive-ins for teenagers who can't go see porn yet. This is the next best thing because it has video the feel of a, is the other or, thing or, too. yeah, or or the or the back room with the black tapes, you know, with this with the swinging cattle doors that we had or the swinging saloon doors that we had D. Rose video in Franklin Indiana, um. But this was that way that you could trick your parents maybe into renting meatballs three you know oh it's a teen it's a comedy cool they're not getting right you fucking summer camp girls um this is that kind of like starter (laughs) like starter meal for uh getting into to porn i think
0: yeah which like late night skinamax would take the place of you would have like the boner jams that you would rent at the video store like this ski school uh, Graver actually made like he made the the porno that we're going to talk about later, but he actually made another kind of boner jam called Party Camp. But like they were, yeah, they were the entry level uh, stroke off movies, we'll say, before like cable then came in and gave us like all of the soft core porn parodies that like Blockbuster would carry because Blockbuster, you know, notoriously was the very uh, Puritan wouldn't carry NC-17 or X-rated movies, but they would carry. I remember because I even remember like working there. They would carry like videotapes of like the shit you would see on Skymax. Like what was the Lord of the Rings one? The like oh, Lord of the Cock uh,
1: Rings? No, it's Fellows, uh Lord of the G String, Fellowship of the String. Um, That's it. With the throbbits, and then you have a drunk uh, Gandalf who's called Smirnoff. Um Just yeah. really, really good quality content all around.
0: But, I mean, that's the level of joke, too, that you're getting in Meatballs 3. Like, I enjoyed this much more than you did, it sounds like. Like, I actually walked away from Meatballs 3 being like, hmm, three stars, no notes. I don't really need <laughs> anything else for this. <laughs> you know, but, I mean, like, like drunk Gandalf being called Smirnoff, like that, like, if you used, if all of a sudden there was, like, a hallucinogenic sequence in Meatballs 3 and drunk Gandalf called Smirnoff popped up, joke wouldn't feel out of place.
1: Yes, it's... well. And that, I think that is like the the kind of connected tissue definitely between two and three and a lot of these other camp movies, the non-porno ones. It's just like dad jokes, man. Just like really lame. Like they didn't go back and rewrite and said, okay, that's good. That's good. I mean, oddballs last week too, right? I mean, it's just these like rapid fire references to other movies, just pretty shallow. And they honestly like almost feels... There's moments in these films that feel like they're hate fucking the audience. They're like, you're going to fucking watch this. We don't even care if you don't like this or not. You're here. Like, you paid to be here. Fuck you. <laughs> it feels like antagonistic to the audience.
0: One, it's like the sub Mad Magazine, sub, you know, uh, Zucker, Abrams, Zucker kind of level comedy to where it's just throwing shit at the wall and hoping that you laugh where the people behind Mad and the Zaz movies were comedic geniuses the people behind Meatballs 3 not so much except to your point for Sally Kellerman because even though she shot it before I believe Back to School was released between the time that she shot this and then when meatball street is actually released. And I know Sally Kellerman, you know, Altman regular complete goddess, you know, has a, a great place in film history. Rest her soul. I believe she died this year, like a couple months ago. Really? really. Um, and then, but to me, she will always be the hot, English teacher that Rodney Dangerfield fell in love with in back to school because back to school is like not to get too far off on a tangent, but that's one of the cornerstones of like my comedic sensibilities. I think it's a near perfect movie and actually probably features the guy who should have been playing the Patrick Dempsey part in keith gordon like imagine keith gordon in Meatballs 3 who obviously keith gordon's stock was much harder than like it was much higher than starring in meatballs 3 at this point in his career but imagine meatball 3 with keith gordon in the patrick dempsey role kind of a better movie
1: i also want to note that you and i bring up keith gordon at least once a season because we went on that jaws 2 tangent on some random movie like first season and you you and I, like you and I just talked to Keith Gordon by 30 fucking minutes but I I agree because I think what Keith Gordon brought brought to his constant nerdy character even like the earlier scenes of, of Christine before he before he's kind of taken over by the car is like he's sweet he's real you believe he's a real fucking nerd but like you kind of see yourself in that you're like oh wow like, I was that I've been that kid and he's just a good fucking actor. Like, Patrick Dempsey's doing a whole kind of Looney Tunes thing here, of like, boo, what are we doing? You know, and Keith Gordon would never do that. Well, and think of the murderer's row.
0: Again, not to get too far off on a tangent, <laughs>
1: we We are are talking Keith
0: Gordon here. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he's one of my dream interview subjects. If we could get him for one of our bonus features, I would have wood the entire time, but like (laughs) think about Keith Gordon's earliest career, His first movie is with Bob Fosse playing young Bob Fosse. And then like the, the next year he's in a like Spielberg doesn't Direct the movie, but he's producing it. He's in a Spielberg production, and then he's in a De Palma movie, playing young Brian De Palma for Dress to Kill, and then he's fucking playing a nerd for John Carpenter. Like, if you're gonna learn how to act and be in movies and just like be around these this level of productions, like,
1: what a fucking like killer set list of of like auteurs to work with. Well, then you wonder why he goes again and makes as a filmmaker. You know, yeah. And, and at eighty-seven or eighty-eight, he does Chocolate War, and then you know goes on right. with a lot of HBO and like, um, and he has spoken a lot about working with those directors, specifically with Carpenter. You know that that was like kind of like a master class. He and John Stockwell on Christine, being like, oh, like that's how you make a movie. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they both went on to do that. But no, I I can totally see Keith Gordon. In this role. And I, I'm being unfair maybe to Patrick dempsey because like he's only working with what he's given in this movie, which is like it's constantly these him trying to get laid over and over and over again. And that's like one of the weird parts of this movie. And I'm I'm asking, I think, too much for Meatballs 3 summer job right now, but
2: we like all there, are.
1: We, we, there's an arc to I'm gonna be like Roger Dodger with Campbell Scott, right? Where it's like he's this womanizer and he's trying to get his son, young Jesse Eisenberg, or his, his nephew laid. And the end result of course is him learning like, oh, like I'm a piece of shit. Like I shouldn't be a womanizer. I'm gonna teach this kid to respect women. And then if when he falls in love, it'd be better. Or the the, the message of like forty year old virgin, like of course sex would be good. We're in love, right? And that's what this, this, this film ends up getting to, but it's not what we're promised at all earlier on. Like, and she doesn't learn that herself. She's kind of, kind of be like, hey, go fuck that girl. Well, maybe you shouldn't. Like, It's just a, it's a repetitive nature of like, oh, here's another girl. Oh, you don't want to do that. You'll regret it the rest of your life. It's like, I thought your job was just to get him fucking laid, not to help him find love. And it kind of takes a weird turn, like three quarters of the way through the movie, where it's like, no, that's not what we're doing anymore. Now it's about learning the lesson. Yeah, you know, this tacked on kind of lesson.
0: Yeah. She becomes like this weird come dumpster, Jiminy cricket, like for him <laughs> that like you're, you're like, Oh, okay. I didn't see this coming, but sure. Yeah. It's all over the place. But I mean, to uh, the point about Patrick Dempsey though, is that you can kind of see the Patrick Dempsey uh, from camp Buy me love and stuff like that. The nascent stages, because like, of like his persona like emerging because like you get the nerdy kid in the beginning and then you get like the preppy sweater wearing, like kind of douchebag. Like he almost is playing like James Spader by the end of this movie. Because like and that that's part of like what would make him popular is like what went on is that he was different from the Coreys or the other kind of heartthrobs that emerged from the 80s because he embraced him and – um, oh, who's the actor from Less Than Zero? Andrew – Oh, you know um,
1: McCarthy. Andrew McCarthy.
0: Yeah. They were like the preppy kids from this era that they tried to make into like teen heartthrobs or like early 20-something heartthrobs that were like the – the the counter programming to the Corey's more punk rock sex uh, appeal. Let's say I I hate labeling sex appeal to to kids who are like underage when they were in, but I mean that's that's what you know Hollywood marketing is all about. Um, but the, yeah, like Dempsey fit that that mold, and you can see him sort of uh fleshing that out even in his first role with Meatballs Three.
1: Yeah, I would agree it's and that's kind of a hard balance to strike where you're supposed to be cute enough for like the girl teenage viewers, but also like believably schmucky enough that you're the nerd, you know um and and it, there's yeah, again, with him dressing up, there's a little bit of like um, the ugly duckling kind of thing going on that she's turning his life around but again it's just so all over the fucking place with like what she's trying to help him with um and and I, like a lot of these like there's just even with a, a a a subpar slasher like you know where the movie's going and this like i just didn't know where it was taking me so i'm like is he i guess he's gonna get late at the end finally but like we're an hour away from that right now like i was like 23 minutes into this movie i was like what else you got for another hour Because that's the bit and they stick to it over and over and over again. Yeah. The one thing I will say, though, is
0: this one actually looks like a real movie as opposed to like meatballs Two. like there's some production value to it and everything, which is weird because I believe this this moves the the franchise back to its kind of Canadian roots and much more like exploitative roots to where like, you know, two was a product of tri-star and barely looks like a movie
1: yeah and, and and this this worked in a way to me actually cheaper than part two but i think again i was watching really shitty youtube yeah. transfer and, and the, the Meatballs when i saw was yeah it's like who fucking knows and the meatballs two i watched was like digitally remastered again i'm not sure why but because you know someone got paid to do that um
0: Although it's funny, like I threw up that I was watching Meatballs 2 before we recorded that episode, and like I had people like Chris Cargill like responding like, ooh, that's a rough one, baby, and I'm like, yeah, and by the time it ended, I went, mm-hmm, yep, it was.
1: Yes, indeed.
0: <laughs> you want to get to cheerleader camp?
1: Love to.
2: Allison, she's so fine, but at her long, you go blind next year tell you this she ain't no sham next is ronnie she acts kind of funny Heart, but not your money. I can't forget Teresa. She's got what it takes. Putting her on this team was no mistake. Last is Glory. This is her story. She's our gator. You'll be seeing her later. And we're Brad Timmy. We're part of the bunch. Gonna take the crown. And that ain't no hunch. Now get ready to hear our cheer. Cause we're the best team you see this year.
0: Cheerleader camp from 1988 Martin. This movie for me went in one ear And as my mother would say out the other, because I remember less about it than I do meatballs three, but I also credit it not because I mean, I was high when I watched it. I mean, I'm high when I watched most of this fucking shit, but like <laughs> cheerleader camp was the one I remember distinctly texting you and being like, I don't know what's happening in this. Like, I don't know. It took me watching the trailer for cheerleader camp to get a better grasp on what the actual plot of that movie is. Because like I spent half of my, the running time watching the feature itself going, why are we at cheerleader camp? What's happening here? Like why is there a cheerleader camp at all?
1: It is this is one of those inept movies on a lot of a lot of levels like of course acting whatever um just straight up storytelling again like you could do a straight up slasher though some of the worst slashers at least you can follow right just like, all right i'm watching a slasher you're being picked off one by one this is trying to be a slasher and it feels very similar actually to, in in my mind to sleepaway camp um now because sleepaway camp as a horror film or as a slasher is has a different kind of narrative right where it's the kind of story of a camp owner trying to hide the fact that people are being picked off one by one like in most slashers most camp slashers people are picked off in one night one by one unbeknownst to the rest of the characters our final girl or final guy or the group realize who are dying they run and then and or confront the killer. This is like one of those movies of like someone dies really early on, so you have that kind of longer narrative. Now, Sleepaway Camp never forgets it's a horror movie. It's funny, but it's a fucking horror movie. This like forty minutes go by where it's all of a sudden about a competition again. The question you asked though, I kept writing down in my notes. I've seen this three times before. It', it been it been a while. I don't get this world at all so it's like a championship no they are all at a camp to compete so it's a school championship but at a camp that will determine who goes on to the state championships like do these people not know how the world works because i don't like i'm not a cheerleader but i have some friends who were also like i know how the world works like competitions at school happen at school during the school year what the hell is going on? There's also Queen of Camp shit going on, too. Um, it's fucking bananas. Well, and like
0: none of these people look like they're in high school. So uh, at first I was like, OK, so are we competing between like different colleges for like the number one cheerleader? Leif Garrett is our lead, and he like looks at least 55 in this movie. I think he might be 30. I'm not sure. He He's just, 27.
1: He, I looked it up. Oh my he's God, only he's eight. He's, he's 11 years younger than me, almost 12 years younger than me.
0: He looks like the sheriff from Jason lives, like has the same <laughs> mullet, like drinking problem. Probably like, he looks
1: horrible. You said that he has rape eyes, right? Like, yeah. He, just like the, looks like the ultimate rapey eyes. It's like super yeah. like, and that's, I know I'm making a, a joke of it. He's literally unsettling to look at. Yeah. He's horrible. He looks like a
0: disease. Like it's it's the worst. Like, and we were talking about teen heartthrobs, you know, with Meatballs 3. Leave carrot was a teen heartthrob, but you look at him and you're like, damn, you like Jackie Earl Earl Haley, man.
1: I was gonna say it'd be like casting Jackie Earl Haley and little children in a fucking oh. camp movie. And be like, Oh, it's like it's a cute kid, right? From uh from uh What'd Bad he- News Bears, right? But he's 45. But he's still sought after.
0: Like, they try to treat his character like he's the most desirable dude at this camp, and you're like, mm No, he's not. He smells like Jim Beam.
1: No, he is. Oh, and I have a, a reason I really hate Leaf Garrett beyond most reasons. My brother's name is Leif. Now, Leif is the per- correct pronunciation. It's the name. It's Leif. It's not Leaf. So, but, but, like, he went by Leaf. Leif That's Garrett.
0: racist. But I'll let you continue.
1: And so the entire my brother's entire youth was his. The first words he learned was "It's not leaf, it's lave." And I <laughs> literally blame leaf. Like literally, the first sentence he ever said, he was like two or one, and it was all because of Leaf fucking Garrett. Because because our brother was born in '77, so they were, you know, or his early years. Le- I think Leaf Garrett was already. I, kind of I, popular. I, know I should
0: know the answer to this question, but what show was Leif Garrett known for?
1: Oh, fuck. I think he was mostly known for music. He kind of did like disco-flavored stuff, it says, and like other oldie covers. Um, But I think he was one of those kids who was just like around. Um, and he just kind of
0: showed up in a bunch of TV and like, it looks like a bunch of 70s movies and stuff. Like did this guy's like way before my time, but let's say that his hard partying days caught up with him by 88.
1: Jesus, man, he looks, he looks like a like bag of fucking shit. I was going to say a bunch of beat up fucking dicks. <laughs> he just looks, he looks really bad. Sorry, Leaf Garrett. If you're listening, but the person I want to give credit to. And one of the reasons I still don't hate this movie is Travis McKenna. Now Travis McKenna is the big the he the fat guy? He's the fat guy. Now, he's in Roadhouse. He's great in yeah. Roadhouse.
0: That's what he's I knew tw- him he, from.
1: He's in Twice Dead. He's one of the main punks in Twice Dead, which I love. And he's in Batman Returns. He's one of the... Uh, he's one of the carnival folk, like one of the evil clowns when they are taking... Early on in the movie, the one working for Penguin. And he was in a lot of stuff back then. He is so great but also terrible in this movie like again his whole thing is i just want to get laid so you have that of course that trope again but i love that they they're they're coming in it's like in this creeper van like he and the and leith garrett and the best rest of the girls on their team and he goes oh i mean i'm gonna fuck so much and he decides to show everyone his big nasty pasty ass this like giant ass and shove it out the window i'm like that's that's your pitch Like, that's how you're going to get laid. And there's a whole Mrs. Doubtfire thing where he's, like, spying on the girls. They're on, like, they they obviously didn't have a lake. So they have this, like, these rocks that stand in for, like, the lake. And he's spying on them dressed as, like, an old woman. I'm sorry, I'm going to stop collecting butterflies. And it's just, again, not funny. And it leads to the most memorable scene of this movie, which is the rap scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, I think Alamo shows, this is one of the scenes that Alamo shows before movies where it's like, if you talk, you miss scenes like this. It's definitely one of those, like, it's, it's a brain melting scene, Like, I can't believe this was like shot and put in this movie. Um, for those of you oh, who have seen it, The
0: audio from it to, to play in this, like it, it they're going to hear it. Okay. So you're all going to
1: hear it. Cause it really, you really have to see and or hear it to believe it. Um,
0: Cause it's like him and Leif Garrett doing like a beastie boys thing, but they're shouting out all the different cheerleaders on their team. Now, to be fair, the cheerleaders are fucking hot. Like Betsy Russell, hot. Lucinda Dickey from the great uh, Ninja three, uh, super hot fucking Terry Weigel. Oh boy. Like this movie, a lot like Meatballs 3, we'd reached the point in the 80s kind of uh, trash movie cycle to where it was like, you have a bunch of titties? Sweet. Here's a million. Go make a movie.
1: Yep. And Betsy Russell, I mean, she's this pre Saw days, right? And she was just like drop dead fucking gorgeous. Amazing. Um, and another standout of this movie, my man Buck Flower. Oh, now, God, yeah. He he's having a good time. I just rewatched uh, Back to the Future last weekend, one and two. Um, I'd forgotten he you know played the uh, homeless man in that. Uh, who
2: uh, Marty's great
1: as he usually did. You know, where I, my favorite role of his is definitely Escape from New York. I knew when I got. This oh, I'd be president. You know, um, or when he cleans himself up in They Live. Um, this one though, he has this line. So the sheriff. Is that another hornball is spying on the girls when they're they're stunning themselves. And uh Buck Flower plays the handyman. Um and I believe he's supposed to they're trying to hint, similar to the handyman in Prom Night, that here's your possible killer or pieces. Same thing with what's his name, Paul, uh, the killer in P, the not killer in pieces, where it's like, oh, he's creepy looking. So the sheriff's like spying on the girls, and Buck Flower comes up drunk as shit. And sheriff's like, sorry, you know, gotta, gotta watch out, it's my line of duty but I was like a lot of duty a lot of duty my ass a lot of dirty more like it and it's just like this like it's not funny it's stupid but like buck flower i think he really was drunk so just, oh yeah he, he really adds a little bit of spice to this movie
0: there was no containing buck flower during peak buck flower years like he showed up to set and you were like he's hammered
1: there's also a whole like side plot in this uh about the mascots, so like the mascots are there at the camp too, right so and, fucking bizarre, and they can't there's this whole scene where they're having to learn how to eat with their mascot heads on and then the 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 head of the camp is like you can't take your head off to eat your hot dog and this this girl's trying to like shove the hot dog with the, the eye of her mask, and it's like a the scene goes on for way too long um. And again, I just like they forgot it was a horror movie for a long period of time. There's like a a significant amount of time when no one dies. And we just like, okay, I guess that person died earlier on. Let's not talk about it anymore. And even the
0: kills themselves aren't great. Like there's some good blood in it here and there, but it's really not a gory. It's it's not like watching the burning, we'll say. Like it's more about the jokes and the hangout vibe. The other thing I kept thinking of, too, was. You read the Fear Street books, right? Growing up. I about, thought of
1: the cover, it, the cheerleader shit. Yeah, I
0: thought the, the, exact the cheerleader same thing. the 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 series that was kind of like the mythology inside of the Fear Street uh, series. Like I started thinking about that, but also the mascot stuff to your point uh I started thinking about Terror Train. And to where how this um, could be almost like a better slasher to where it's almost like what if they were a different mascot every time they killed somebody. Also, the other movie I thought about a lot was Girls Night Out was that it was know, like that shit. where shit was kind of like you could at least have fun with it. And like every time somebody stalked and murdered, it's like a different like mascot outfit like one is the the alligator ones like the bear yada 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 but it's almost like nobody could care even that much to to put that much thought into it
1: yep no it, there's because the girls find out it, it sticks to the the plan right if someone stole the mascot outfit and this person is killing off people during the scavenger hunt and it's like that's the bit again I know you don't love girls as much as I do, but it follows the beats. It follows the slash. I like beats.
0: it. I like it a lot.
1: It's so oh, fucking it? weird. How could you not like it?
0: Okay. Sorry. I, I remember you telling me. I don't like terror wars. train. Terror Train's the one I don't think is great.
1: Terror train is a slog. Yeah, like, it's hard. There's yeah, ad, it's so there's warm. an hour. There's an hour of that where I'm like, just do something like anything. Um, I like, I like the opening stuff. The, the like, before time where we find out why the killer is how they are when they like put the dead body in with them. Like I think it's super creepy and like it's got a great kind of the beginning of prom night. It's really weird. Um but the train is just the train is just a late and I like train movies too, but it's just kind of again it was definitely that era of we got Jamie Lee Curtis, let's fucking go. Um well and speaking of which,
0: I mean Meatballs three is scored by Paul Zaza. Who scored the entire? He was an infamous Canadian composer who scored the entire prom night series, as well as like over a hundred like different kind of Canadian cut, can exploitation like like horror and exploitation type stuff. So like we have some again more like even craft through lines running through these movies, to where like th- there's connective tissue. Hell yeah, no, it's
1: I, I didn't even think about that, and it's just this was movies. I think I remembered the scenes more than I remembered the movie. Like, again, like you kind of washed back you, I've seen it numerous times, but I always kind of forget that it's not great. Um, And, but the scene, like the kind of, again, the, the, the weird leaf Garrett stuff, the rap scene, buck flower, just the hotness of all the women. It kind of pulls you through. I think. Yeah. It's, it's the
0: thing we talk about a lot with, these slashers since we're both such huge fans of them is that a lot of the times you're relying on their idiosyncrasies to kind of pull you through. And like cheerleader camp is almost entirely idiosyncrasy to the point of where you said is that it's like, it's barely a slasher.
1: And I, I completely agree. And it almost goes again, back to what I was saying about, uh, um, sleepway camp is this, is a sleepway camp didn't work. I I cause Sleepway Camp it it is gnarly, it's gross, it's mean, it's a horror movie, but it's got all the weird hangout side character shit, everything you'd ever want, but it never forgets what it is. Um He shouldn't die. He shouldn't live. <laughs> it's it's awesome. Um but no, I mean not not a horrible watch, but this I remember why I don't watch this too often.
0: God, no. How could I'll never watch this movie again? Like, I'm glad that I saw it because I, I also like this was like a completionist thing to where I was like, oh, cool. This is the my, you know, excuse to finally watch cheerleader camp. And then I got through it and I was like, well, I've seen it. That's all I took away from it. Yep. You ready to get to summer camp, girls?
1: Last one.
2: Not on the cherry pie. Oh, so good. Not on a. Whoa, sugar. Not on a sugar plum. Not on a. Sugar. Not on a sugar plum. Not on a. Sugar. Not on the sugar plum. Corner set, set, set in the corner. I didn't put in a thumb. I didn't pull out a plum. I guess I'm not afraid of me. Give me some. Nineteen eighty
0: three's Summer Camp Girls. Now, Martin, there's a specific reason that I picked this movie, and it's not just because it was an unopened Blu-ray on the the stack of unopened Blu-rays that I have just it, it continues accumulating in, in our bar. Um, this was directed by Gary Graver, who has a quite fascinating kind of Hollywood history in that he worked with everybody from Al Adamson shooting, like, Dracula versus Frankenstein. He shot stuff like... like he has over almost like 150 cinematographer credits. He shot uh, the toolbox murders, made a lot of like B-level exploitation, Grand Theft Auto for Ron Howard, one of his first movies. Um, And then he made hardcore porno uh, to kind of just like, again, pay the bills. But then he kind of became... In the the late, very fat years of Orson Welles, he kind of became his acolyte and assistant to where like Bogdanovich was his protege, like his very pretentious douchebaggy, like, like, uh, talent wearing. yeah, Yeah, the ascot wearing protege. Gary Graver was almost like his Leon Vitale. You know, mm-hmm. like the, the guy who became Kubrick's assistant after being in Barry Lyndon, who just passed this week, like I
1: believe. Three three days ago, I
0: think. Yeah, yeah. who the, the great documentary film worker is based around, if you guys have never seen that movie. But he... Became like Orson Welles' assistant to where he filmed like the Orson Welles show, that that briefly lived talk show that Orson Welles had. He filmed uh, like filming Othello. He worked on that feature length – not feature length, but like 10-minute trailer for F is for Fake that he helped put together. Like he and Orson became – like symbiotic in a way, because there's also like, I don't know if it's an urban legend or or provable, but when Gary Graver was shooting 3 a.m. one of his pornos, uh, Orson Welles uh, edited together uh, one of the, the movie's main sex uh, set pieces, which was like a lesbian, like sour sh- shower scene, because I guess he owned he he owed Gary Graver money. So he came in and and cut stuff together for him. So it was like, I guess if you have that kind of relationship with Orson, that's great. But he also was like one of the cameramen on um, uh, Other Side of the Wind and Other mm-hmm. Side of the Wind became his passion project where he was the one trying to navigate and. and uh, thread through all of the rights issues and everything, trying to put that movie together after Wells passed. And that was the thing that he was trying to work on up until his death. I believe Graver died in 2006 Um, and he never got to see other side of the wind completed, which then enter Peter Bogdanovich again, who helps put that movie together and then Netflix releases it. So, which, again, if you've never seen Other Side of the Wind, it's on Netflix right now. And it's pretty terrific, if somewhat impenetrable. <laughs> but, I mean, this is one of Graver's many pornos that he worked on and directed. Um, and as you said, kind of at the top of the episode, makes probably more sense than Cheerleader Cam.
1: Yeah, it's um, it has the era of. I guess bigger budgeted um, shot on film pornos with like the bigger stars of the time. And, you know, the, the plot is around a bunch of horny, they're all supposed to be 18. I think they kind of have to say that in the movie <laughs> and they are not as
0: old, not as old as leaf Garrett, but at least 30.
1: Yes. And they're supposed to be 18 at this camp and somewhat protected from their, they all got in trouble back in the real world. And so you have all the camp workers and the and the kind of ancillary characters who are either trying to bang or be banged by the girls. Um and watching it, we've talked about this in the past, and like I'm I'm gonna make a point here that has been made a million times, but it's just I'm constantly reminded of the plotting of porns are so similar to the plotting of horror films, right? You know, um, especially slashers, you know, you have um talked before this great theorist Cynthia Freeland talked about how musicals porno and horror all have numbers so it's like for horror it's the death scenes for porno it's the fucking for musicals it's musical numbers so and everything else is connected tissue right everything else is just getting you from one like you said set piece to another and so watching this you know so close i watched it you know around the same day as cheerleader camp you know it it fulfills our are, are, fulfills our needs better than shooter camp Shooter camp is not a good horror movie, and it's not a good camp movie. This actually is a really great porno um with a solid plot <laughs> that actually care you're like oh i and and I also thought about you have um your final girl who's the final fuck, right and we talked about this with um.
0: Patrick still lives. Uh, Patrick
1: Pat still lives, right? It's like you're watching. You're saying, when do I get to see her? It's the whole idea. When do I get to see her? And it's that same thing. She's the kind of final girl of the movie. Um, and that's and just sitting at a camp. at shot a grant. Who, yeah.
0: Who was, she was 19 or 20 at the time, because I believe she was only 21 when she killed herself. Ooh. So like, Yeah. Um, to like she actually fits the role, but yeah, she she's the the innocent. She's the one who's supposed to be deflowered, or is the ultimate kind
1: of goal for these guys, and the goal for the audience, you know. And and it'd be the same with you know talking about skin you know Skindamax stuff. There was always that character in a Skinamax one that made that you didn't see them naked earlier on. You wanted to wait. You had to watch the whole movie to see them get naked at the end. It's almost like the Jill Sholin shower scene stepfather to the last eight minutes of the movie. I'm like, you're so naked now. Holy shit. Which I'm pretty sure is still a
0: body double. Right. And that it? one, or is that her? act Is that actually her? I can't remember. I, I think it's her. I think it's her.
1: Well, or I'm going to pretend it is.
0: <laughs> the thing I kept thinking of too, is that uh, with Shawna Grant being that unattainable, unattainable uh, kind of central final girl, as you put it like there was a porno pseudo documentary called Shawna Grant's Every Man's Fantasy that I believe was ma- it was made by Roberta Findlay, of all people, the great exploitation filmmaker, and then uh, released the year after her death. And it's like an interrogation of like, what happened to Shawna Grant? Why did she kill herself? And it becomes this kind of grotesque indictment of the porno industry and, and trying to wonder aloud, like, did porn drive her to kill herself or like the porn lifestyle, but yada, yada. But I threw it on after watching uh, summer camp girls and just watched like 10 minutes of it. And it's, it's fucking, it's grotesque and, and really quite frankly abhorrent, but it's also hilarious because like it's this fake journalist going from, Uh, Movie set to movie set And they're obviously staged or whatever While these like porno scenes are happening And she's interviewing The stars who knew Shauna Grant And being like "Do What do you think? Do you think porn is bad? And it's while this girl's like in the middle of sucking a dick And she'll like come up for air And she's like I think porn's great It's because This is what I do, I love cock That's why I suck it on film And would just go straight back down to the hot dog And you're like OK, this is fucking weird. Like, I don't know who thought this was a good idea. But at the same time, you brought up boogie nights in our intro. And the one thing I kept thinking about while watching some summer, summer camp girls is this is the end. Like, this is the end. Yeah. of porno before videotape takes over. And this is still Gary Graver shooting it on, I believe, 35 millimeter.
1: It looks like it. You know, it, and I, of course, I saw a shittier transfer. Um, you saw this in this beautiful restored Blu-ray, um, but it, it looks great, um, which is again really cool to link together with slasher films. You know, where there was this like kind of perfect era until like eighty eighty two, the end of an era kind of feel. Um, and this has that vibe as well. Yeah, the this wild, is the, tale the wild bunch that. vibe. This is the end of <laughs> the end of our of our time. You know.
0: Well, I think this movie's hilarious too, especially once Shauna Grant's dad or the guy who's playing his dad enters the picture at the end um, because he's basically a mafioso. (laughs) And it's kind of like Gary Graver commenting on the types who were funding these movies, like the Bryanstons of the world, let's say, who were, you know, funding Deep Throat and everything of like these mafia dudes were coming in and they were like the real pimps that that were sending their their daughters off to camp to get fucked and then but it ends with this hilarious like final scene between you know the dad and herschel Shat savage who find he's the one who like i don't know if we're supposed to infer that there's an arc here because like the first fuck scene with herschel savage is like super aggressive and he's like come on bitch take that dick you know you like that dick and at the end like he's the one who actually has sex with shauna grant and it's like oh i love you i love you while he's still like straight up fucking her doggy style and you're like mm, okay i guess i see the passion here but like or i hear wedding bells In the air, but like the the mafioso like shows him, he's like, "Oh, you're part of the family now. You're gonna be in it. We'll give you a casino." And I'm like, "What is this House of Gucci motherfucker trying to do?"
1: Well, and that's what's so funny is this movie lands a joke that these other movies didn't. Okay, we're watching other movies that are trying to make these sex jokes, right? And they're not funny. This one, it starts out, and when you first meet shauna Grant, she's sitting by the side of the pool, and she's got a cross. And they're like, Oh, are you Catholic? And she's like, Yeah. And the end joke is he's gonna get killed by this mafia guy for fucking his daughter. He crosses himself. He goes, Why'd you do that? He's like, Well, I'm Catholic. And then that's what first tells them to go, Hey, oh! he's like, Oh, I'm gonna give you a casino. It's like that's actually funny. Like, that is a callback to an earlier scene. Like this movie has more of a script structure. <laughs> these other movies that we've watched, like they planted that an hour and 15 minutes earlier and they actually land the joke and it's like, but up, up, but up, but credits it's fucking awesome.
0: Yeah. The movie just ends. It's like, bye. <laughs> and the, the credits go, but yeah, it, it, it is pretty amazing. Cause this movie's kind of funny, like throughout, like it's yeah. super goofy, but like it is a porno. It is 88 minutes and there are long fuck scenes in it. There's even one lesbian fuck scene with two of the hottest girls in the whole movie in a barn where unintentional or not the most hilarious thing in the movie happens because they're, you know, getting it on or whatever. And she's like, here, I got something for us to play with. She brings a picnic basket over and takes out a, like, foot long Nathan's uncooked hot dog and shoves it into this girl's pussy. And I went, I texted you right in that moment and went, this was unexpected. I did not expect the hot dog to go into the vagina only it, metaphorically. It is. It's wild.
1: Um, <laughs> I, say, I, I, I honestly, like to be honest, like I skipped a couple of the sex scenes just to be done in time for us to record. Um, but well, I was this like, was one I... of the ones
0: where like, I played it full well, knowing that like I was going to zone out during the boning and had my laptop out and everything. And as soon as there was just full on fucking going on, like I left it on. Now I did keep my surround sound on. So my whole living room was just rocked by the sounds of dudes, like railing chicks. But like, I'm just like logging stuff on Letterbox. Like, Mm-hmm-hmm. are we to the cum shot yet? Oh, okay. Here we go.
1: I will the one thing I noticed watching this compared to more modern pornography is the guys are really talky. Like Herschel Savage like literally monologues like every scene he's in. And I'm like, you know, you can just like stop talking. I guess that was like the style at the time, but still it's like pretty distracting. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's like
0: it it is interesting because all the dudes are supposed to have. Like different personalities and like herschel savages is like this kind of tough new york like kind of bronx dude who's like real aggressive and calling girls bitches while he's fucking them and choking them at certain points and stuff and you're like Ugh, okay but then paul thomas is supposed to be like the nice guy who's like oh you can't see my dick i'm just here to work in the cafeteria or whatever the fuck is going on in this movie but like he's the nice guy to where like when he fucks like about halfway through the movie in that weird blacked out workout scene where it's just like it almost seems like black box theater to where all they have is like a weight bench. And then like two like I I don't know what you call those like parallel poles that you do gymnastics on. But then he and one of the girls like bang finally and you're like. All right. Cause she's like, you got to keep your body and your mind fit. And I'm like, oh boy.
1: Okay. Yeah. Cause he, that guy isn't fucking Jesus Christ superstar. Like he was an actor before he did porn. Yeah. He played, uh, I think he played James. Um, Cause he's also, he plays the judge in Return to Sex Fifth Avenue. And, I think one of the things I do like about this era of porn too is like they're really just like hilarious, like again unintentionally so. Like, um, Orange Dick Hershel Savage was also in this movie called uh, Mary Xmas. Uh, same era, not Gary Graver, but like I think '84 or '85. Um, but there's a character named Sid, the nasty elf, and he's a little he's a little person. And he literally just monologues. There's just two people having sex, and he's, like, in the corner hiding, pretending to be a statue, but he keeps mu- like, t- like basically giving commentary on the scene, and it was so fun. My friend actually had a t-shirt made for me of one of the lines from <laughs> That's the nasty elf, because we used to quote it to each other all the fucking time. This is that era, too, where, like, yeah, there's, like, hardcore porn like, sex in the movie, but you can kind of divorce yourself from that pretty quickly and be, like, this is just ridiculous. Like, again, all the jokes are made in Boogie Nights. Like, the funny stuff is like the narrative, right? And it's and the, and the the dialogue. Um honey, uh honey writers in the phone with one of the angry parents. And like when she's getting her to hang up, you just you hear him say, get your tits out for like no like no reason. And it's, it's like genuinely like hilarious compared to these mm-hmm. other movies that are just kind of like just face planting jokes left and right. Well, and also the
0: t-shirts I'm glad that you brought up your own custom t-shirt. Cause some of the t-shirts in this movie are fucking hilarious. Like it's like bikers get mole head or whatever, like dude who rides Harleys. Also what's going on with the, in that first fuck scene, the weird, like handyman guy who like the, he's like the trope of like the summer camp movie, but he's like air humping the shed outside and like kind of jerking off while listening to him. What was his name? Animal or whatever. Animal. Animal, yeah, he's like, yeah. They're like, watch out for animal. His bike's here. We know he's here. Well,
2: and
1: you have um again, which connects to Meatballs 3, you know, you get that whole like era of like the, the biker joke, you know. So it's you're playing with a lot of the same elements. Again, also the virginal girl who wants to learn more. All these things are just being moved around for horror movies, for for comedies, and for porn. Um, and they work pretty well. And I wish the times would return to us. I wouldn't I wouldn't mind another resurgence of camp movies.
0: Yeah. I mean, and also like they were just filling time between fuck scenes. Like so many of these. Yeah. It, it's back to that William H. Macy joke from Boogie Nights where it's like such and such, they come into the office, they talk, they fuck. And then these two, they come in, they meet, and then they fuck, and then whatever. Like here you have like that bizarre like aerobics scene that takes up like four minutes of runtime where it's just girls doing aerobics while Gary Graver like ogles their butts with the camera it's like it's so fucking bizarre
1: yeah I mean it reminds me of the, I mean one of my favorite movies about about the making of movies is Ed Wood and you know he, uh, when Ed makes his first film Glenn or Glenda he's talking I forget the actor's name from Dumb and Dumber who suddenly passed away but the guy's like just make sure it's two reels long like that's all that matters. Like this is that era still of porno filmmaking where it's like it needs to be this long. This is what we've booked in the theaters, and anything less we're gonna get in trouble. So you probably they might have realized, oh shit, we only got seventy five minutes. Let's do a long, let's do a long, just like scene of them. Uh, or they or they shot a lot. Okay, like, hey, this will be our filler that'll get us to our you know, our eighty eight minute mark um, and get us over that line.
0: They certainly weren't aspiring to the Jack Horner level of when and when they're done and they got to sit there in that joy juice, they actually want to watch the movie. Like, I don't think Gary Graver was too concerned. He was like aerobics. Sure. Butts are there. That sounds great. Yes. Well, Martin, this has been great. We need to do more hardcore porn as we move forward.
1: Honestly, anything for this era, like I think, is great. Like I, I genuinely enjoy watching it because, like, yes, it's it's really sexy, but also like it's funny. Like it's genuinely this movie was funnier than most of the Meatball movies. So,
0: yeah, it was a lot of fun. And then next week we we kind of wrap up our summer camp uh, shenanigans, we'll say. But next week's going to be a surprise. We're going to roll that one out, and you guys are going to have a lot of fun with it. But you're going to have to stay tuned to Secret Handshake. See you then.
1: See you then.
2: John loves Ginny, but she doesn't care. Now that she loves another, I know that she's been getting her share. Sometimes I want tell him.